Rush. Well done, Andrew. You wouldn't know it was unrehearsed, would you? Fantastic. Thank you. Okay, well, good morning, everybody. This morning, we're going to tackle a taboo. We're going to tackle a topic our society doesn't like to talk about, doesn't like even actually to think about, something we ignore, something we avoid. We're going to talk about death. Death is something none of us are very comfortable talking about. We don't talk about the world around us. And actually, it's a bit odd because if we lived kind of 100 or plus years earlier than we do now, we would have talked about death lots. People sometimes joke that the Victorians, the guys who lived in this country in the 1800s, they talked lots about death and never talked about sex. But our culture talks lots about sex and never talks about death. Things like the wars of the last century hugely have had an impact here. Things like just the fact that life expectancy is so much longer, so death can feel so far away, we never feel any need to actually think about it. And just the fact that as modern people in the Western world now, we are so separated from death, we don't come into direct contact with it in ways that previous generations would have done, that it's become this huge uh, taboo in our society we don't talk about. But the problem with that is it leaves us uninformed. And being uninformed is actually a really dangerous position to be in. And this isn't a new problem. Right in the Bible, in the New Testament, Paul's writing to a church in Thessalonica. And he says to them, when he's talking about death, guys, I don't want you to be uninformed. He knows how dangerous it is to be uninformed about this topic. And the Bible talks lots about death, about what comes after death. That's because God wants us to be informed. But my worry is that for many Christians today, we are uh, uninformed about death. Often, actually, also we're misinformed. There are a lot of kind of uh, wrong ideas that circulate around Christian circles about death and what happens after death. So my aim today is just to give us a very clear, simple overview of some key things that the Bible tells us about death. My hope is we will feel equipped, we will be helped by it. My hope is we will be stirred by the glorious good news of the gospel, which comes to conquer death. And I know that for many of us here who will be in different situations, this is also a very um, difficult topic. It might be a very painful thing for you to think about today. But my hope and my prayer is that as we look at the gospel and what the Bible has to say about this, God is going to come by his Holy Spirit and bring comfort, bring encouragement, and bring strength to us all. So why don't I just pray for us that the Holy Spirit comes and works amongst us before we jump in. Father God, thank you that you want us to be informed. Thank you you've given us your word that we might be informed. And we say today, we want to be informed both in our heads and in our hearts. And we just invite you, Holy Spirit, come and give us good understanding of the truth of your words. But I pray, come and work deeply in our hearts. I pray today, come and put hope in our hearts. Come and put comfort where we need it. Come and bring peace. Come and bring reassurance, Lord. I pray, come cast out fear where there's fear. And we say, come and work your truth deep into our hearts today. Amen. Fantastic. The way we're going to do this today is we're going to tackle three big questions. The first question we're going to ask is, how should we think of death? Or in a way, that's asking, what actually is death? And that might sound like an odd question to you. You might think that's a really obvious thing. But actually, there are lots of different answers that people, maybe in this room, people out in the streets of Hastings, Bet Stills, St. Leonard's would give us. Some people would say death is an escape from the physical. It's when you get released from your body and you get to being somewhere non-physical. Some people might say death is a return to home. It's where you came from. It's where you're meant to be. You might say death is a doorway. It's a doorway into something better. Or people might just say death is just a natural process. It's just a natural part of life is that it ends with death. The Bible actually has a very different view. The Bible is very clear that death actually is an enemy. It's not a natural thing. Actually, fundamentally, it's an unnatural thing. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15 that the last enemy God is going to defeat is death itself. We think of death as a natural thing because it happens to everyone. But that doesn't make it natural. 
It's not natural because it's not what God designed. It's not what God intended for you and I when he created us as human beings. Death actually is part of the brokenness in the world that came in through human sin. When humans turned their hearts away from God, rebelled against him, said, we're going to trust things down here, worship and love things down here, rather than trusting and worshipping and loving the one who made us, the world God had created became broken. And part of that brokenness was that death entered the world. So Paul tells us in Romans 5, just as sin came into the world through one man, that's Adam in the Garden of Eden, and death through sin, death kind of clings on to the tail of sin. And as sin comes into the world, death comes in too. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. Death is a universal thing because sin is a universal thing. And in Romans 6, Paul says the wages of, death, uh, of sin, the thing you get in return, in payment for sin, is death. Death is not a natural thing. It's not meant to be in the world that God has created. And I think actually on some level, we all know this. If you go to a funeral, there's no one who's okay with what's going on. No one thinks this is absolutely fine, this is absolutely natural. When death breaks into our lives, we all know there's something wrong. Something has gone wrong and been broken in the world. There was a story in the news, a very sad story recently, which illustrated this. You may have heard there was a 14-year-old girl who had terminal cancer. And she won a court case to have her body cryogenically frozen. Her hope was that her body could be frozen after she died and that in the future they might find a cure for this really rare form of cancer she had and that they could revive her and they could cure her and she could live. That dear girl had this desire to live because she knew that death is unnatural. Death is an enemy which is not meant to be in the beautiful world that God has created. Any of us who've had the, the pain of seeing loved ones deteriorate physically. Any of us who had the pain of loved ones dying very suddenly and being taken away from us will know that sense of this is not natural. This is not how things are meant to be. And it's so important that this is where we start with a Christian understanding of death. It's so easy as Christians to jump over this fact and to go to the good news of the gospel, which we'll talk about in a minute, and it's so important. But we forget the fact that it is an unnatural thing. And actually understanding that death is an enemy helps us and releases us to grieve. The gospel affects the way we grieve, but it's absolutely right that when we lose those we love because of that sense of separation from them and because of that sense just of the unnaturalness and the enemy working in the world, that we grieve. It's a right emotional response to do that. And we do do damage to ourselves if we don't allow ourselves to do that. There's a risk for those of us who were raised in a British culture that we don't get that because we think we've got to be strong and not show our emotions and it's weak to show emotion. I do think there's a real risk for us as Christians as well that we overlook the importance of our emotions and of grieving. Because like I say, we jump over the pain to the truth of the gospel, which is so important, but actually we don't acknowledge this isn't enemies, it's not how it's meant to be. And it's right, therefore, that we grieve in response to death. Death is an enemy, but wonderfully, that is not the end of the story. Because death is an enemy, but death is now a defeated enemy. This has always been God's plan. When death came into the world, God committed that he would destroy it and defeat it. And so even back in the Old Testament, we get God promising that he's going to come into the world and he's going to do something to completely get rid of death. So for example, in Isaiah 25, Isaiah is one of the prophets in the Old Testament, the kind of mouthpieces who speaks God's word to the people. And Isaiah says, God will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples. The veil that is spread over all nations, he, God, will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. God's promise is that he is going to defeat death. He is going to swallow it up. It's been like this covering, overshadowing every one of us. But he is going to take that away. He's going to swallow up death. And that beautiful picture, God himself 
will stoop down and every tear we've cried will be wiped away by him. And that's why Jesus comes. Jesus comes to deal with the problem of this enemy, death, who's entered the world. And he deals with the problem of death by dealing with the problem that lies behind death, which as we already said is sin. Death comes as a result of sin. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says that the sting of death, the place where its kind of bite, where its power lies, is in sin. But Jesus comes to deal with the problem of sin. Jesus comes and as he hangs on a Roman cross, he takes our sin upon himself. He experiences the death that we deserve in our place. And then three days later, he raises from the grave, having conquered death, having defeated it, having taken out that sting. It's like he took a scorpion and took the sting right off the end. It's still walking about, but the sting is gone. Paul says, the sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus has triumphed over death. He is victorious over it. And then we who get united with him and we put our faith in him, we also share in that victory. We have the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And the sure and certain promise that God has given us in the Bible is that one day, one day death will be completely done away with. One day there will be an experience of life without death. It will be swallowed up. It will be completely gone. In that same chapter of 1 Corinthians, Paul finishes by quoting some of these Old Testament prophecies, which he says will come to reality at that time. It will be true that death is swallowed up in victory. We'll be able to shout, oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Because Jesus has defeated death. Friends, as Christians, this is how we need to think of death. Death is an enemy. It's a real enemy. It's a unnatural part of the brokenness of this world. But death is a defeated enemy. The sin problem has been dealt with. The sting has been removed. And there's a day when there will be no more death at all. Which kind of raises the question for us, why is it that Christians still die? Most of us, unless Jesus comes back first, will one day die. Christians die not as punishment, not as a result of our sins in that sense, but just as a result of living in a fallen world. Because we still live in this fallen world which God has not yet completely fixed. All of us, unless Jesus returns first, will die. And that leads us to question number two. What happens when we die? What actually comes in that moment that we die? The first thing that happens is universal for every human who ever dies. Something really unnatural happens at the moment of death. At the moment of death, your physical body and your spiritual soul, which is kind of the totality of who you are apart from your body, become separated. And that's a really unnatural thing. That was never God's plan or God's design. God's design is for us to be embodied people living with him in perfect relationship. We're meant to exist in bodies. And death actually is this painful, weird, unnatural tearing apart of the physical body and the spiritual soul. And that thing will happen. The same thing will happen to every person who dies. But after that, then there's two different things that happen. There's two different directions that things go. The Bible is really clear that those who've trusted in Christ for salvation, who've been declared righteous by him, go immediately to be with him. In a place of perfection, knowing unhindered intimacy with him, where everything is put right and will be with him. But the Bible is also really clear that those who've lived in rebellion against God, and those who haven't cried out to Christ for salvation, will go immediately to eternal punishment. If death is a taboo in our subject, then hell is a taboo even among Christians. The idea of eternal punishment is something we can't bear to think about, we can't bear to talk about. But the Bible is very clear about it. And actually, strikingly, Jesus in the Bible talks loads about it. We need to not shy away from what the Bible says, because God's giving it to us to be informed. The Bible is really clear that hell is a real place. 
that hell is a place of eternal conscious punishment. And Jesus particularly is really clear on this. Jesus talks more about hell than the whole of the Old Testament does put together. He tells us what hell is like. He gives us warnings. He talks about hell as an unquenchable fire, as a place where the worm, the thing which devours, the thing which destroys, does not die, and where the fire is not quenched. And the word he uses for hell, he uses this word, this, this name, Gehenna. And Gehenna was a big valley outside of Jerusalem in the time of Jesus. It was a place where horrific things had happened in the past, and they'd made it their big kind of um, rubbish dump. All the rubbish from the city, a lot of dead bodies and one and stuff would be cast on this rubbish dump. And it had built up over centuries to these huge piles which were constantly burning. In this rubbish tip, which was so big, there were fires constantly burning and the smoke would forever be going up. And even before the time of Jesus, it became seen as a picture of what eternal punishment, of what eternal condemnation would look like. And Jesus uses this place, Gehenna, as an illustration for us of what hell is like. When he talks about it, he tells them to look at that, and that's a pale reflection of what hell would be like. Many Christians today are denying the reality of hell. Many people say that if you don't believe in Jesus, you're not righteous at death, you just cease to exist. There's kind of nothing more. It's all very well, but that's not what Jesus says. Jesus is really clear. When Jesus in Matthew 25 gives the parable of the sheep and the goats, he contrasts the two destinies. He contrasts eternal life and eternal punishment. He says they're both eternal. He sees them both as things which go on and on. Some people believe that after death, we'll get a second chance. That people who haven't been made righteous in this life will get a second chance to respond to Jesus. Again, great idea. But it's not what Jesus says. In fact, Jesus tells us exactly the opposite. Luke 16, Jesus tells a parable about a rich man and a poor man called Lazarus. And after death, the rich man is in hell and Lazarus is up in heaven. And the rich man is talking, asking for their help. And Abraham, who's in heaven, says to this rich man, there's a big chasm between heaven and hell. He says, there's a chasm which no one can pass. That's how God's done it. God has said that no one can pass between the two. There are no second chances after death. The idea of hell is a thing that's just really hard for us to get our heads around. And that's actually correct, I think. I think that's right. Because God has put in our hearts something of his love and his compassion towards his creation. God does not take any delight in the destruction of the wicked. But actually there's a difference to us struggling with this and sharing something of God's heart of compassion and us rejecting it. And actually we need to put ourselves under the word of God and let us tell, let it tell us the truth. Ultimately it's an issue of justice. We all understand when a father becomes angry at someone who deliberately hurts their child. Even actually if it's a child deliberately hurting themselves. We all see that as just and right response. In the same way, it's the just and right response of God the creator to respond with a fair anger when people deliberately hurt those he's made in his image, even actually if that individual is themselves. Hell is ultimately about God's justice. At the end of time, God will show that he's been completely just. And every human heart at its core desires justice. When someone does something wrong against us, we have this inbuilt desire. We want justice to be done. When we see horrific things happening across the world on the news, we want justice to be done. This is God's being just. It's an outworking of his justice. All of us deserve hell. All of us have rebelled against God. We worship other things. We love other things. We don't love God as we should. But the glorious, glorious good news of the gospel is that God loved us so, so much that he wasn't happy to abandon us to what we deserve. He sent his son to make a way for us to be rescued for that, for us to know not eternal punishment, but eternal life with him. 
The other destination, the other place our soul can go in that moment of death is to be with God. And this is the sure and certain hope for anyone who cries out to Jesus to save them. The sure and certain hope is that we go immediately in that moment to be with him. Paul talks about this when he writes to the church in Philippi. He's actually writing from prison and he doesn't know how things are going to go. He doesn't know if he's going to get out alive or if actually he's about to die. And he says to them, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I'm I'm hard pressed between the two. I can't choose which I prefer. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Paul knows that in the immediate moment he dies, when his soul leaves his physical body, he will be with Christ. He knows that that will be far better, but he also knows that's not his choice. He knows it might be God's plan that he stays around a while longer to bless the Philippians and other people. But he has the sure and certain hope because he's put his faith in Christ. In that moment of death, his soul will go to be with God. And any of us who put our faith in Jesus can have that same sure and certain hope. Going to be with God where he is in heaven. Jesus said the same thing. He makes it clear too. When he's hanging on the cross, he has two criminals, one either side of him. And one of them cries out to him and says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus looks at him and he says, truly I say to you, today you'll be with me in paradise. Paradise is just another name for heaven. Jesus is telling that guy, the moment you die, the moment your soul leaves your body, You will be in heaven. You will be with God. You will be in paradise. And heaven will be a place where all pain and suffering will be over. Every frustration, every difficulty we've had will have ceased. And we will enjoy perfect, wonderful, glorious, unhindered intimacy with the God who made us. And this is another point which is really important when we're grieving. We talked about grieving when we talked about what is death. When we're grieving the loss of fellow Christians, we do acknowledge the genuine pain. And it's right that we do and healthy that we do. But at the same time, there's wonderful hope. There's wonderful comfort. There's wonderful excitement. And that in the moment of death, their soul went to be with Jesus. All their pain and suffering they might have experienced are now over. And they're with him, enjoying being with him there. That's the second thing. What happens after death? Then the third question you may or may not think to ask, the third question is, what comes at the end? Because you might think we've already kind of covered it all. We've talked about what death is, and we know there when we go forever, we're kind of sorted. But actually, there's some unresolved business. Remember Isaiah 25, 1 Corinthians 15, said that there'll be a day when all death is done away with. Actually, when people left on earth won't be dying, when all death will be swallowed up. And remember the fact that I said that death is unnatural. Our physical bodies and our spiritual souls get torn apart. There's a breakage which comes, a separation which was never meant to be there. It's not actually God's design. There's some unfinished business, actually, as far as we've got so far. We need to know the end of the story. There's another stage in the story of the creation of of humanity that's got to come. And again, this is something often many Christians are very confused about and get very worked up about. So I want to outline for us very clearly kind of what happens at the end. The key thing to get is that most Christians misunderstand where we're headed. Many Christians think that our eternal destiny is to spend forever with God in heaven. It's not actually what the Bible says. It's not actually true. If you're a Christian here today, you're not going to spend forever in heaven with God. That's not what the Bible says. The truth, actually, is even better. The Bible says that if you're a Christian, your eternal destiny is not to spend forever in heaven, which, to be honest, we often make sound pretty boring, floating around on clouds, playing harps with fat babies and wings, you know. Actually, your eternal destiny as a Christian 
is to spend all of eternity as an embodied person, your soul having been reunited with your, perf- your physical body, now made perfect in a perfect new creation. That is your eternal destiny as a Christian. And this starts with resurrection. The Bible says that just as Jesus was raised from the dead in his body, we too, every one of us, will be raised from the dead in our body. Paul refers to Christ's resurrection as the first fruits. That's a term from harvesting, and it means the first bit of the crop that comes in. And the first bit of the crop gives you an idea of what the rest will be like, and it guarantees for you that the rest of it is on its way, it's coming. When we look at Jesus' resurrection, we get a glimmer of what our resurrection will be like, and it guarantees for us the fact that one day, there'll be a day when our bodies are raised and our souls are reunited. Paul says, again in 1 Corinthians 15, for as in Adam all die... So also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, and then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Those who belong to Christ will be raised. Your body will be made incorruptible. It will be made perfect. Everything that's got broken and got painful and not so good will be made perfect and right. The Bible also says that everyone will be raised. Jesus talks about a resurrection of life and a resurrection to judgment. So those who haven't responded to Jesus will also be raised to face the next stage of the story. The next stage of the story is final judgment. The Bible's really clear, again, beginning to end, that there's a day when every single one of us will stand before God, stand before his throne, and will be judged according to what we've done. We see it on the Old Testament. When the Old Testament talks about the day of the Lord, often it's talking about this. We see it in the New Testament, and then supremely, we get a clear vision of it in the last book of the Bible. The last book of the Bible is called Revelation. It's written by the Apostle John, and most of it actually isn't about the future. Most of Revelation is kind of peering back, taking back the curtain, so we can see the spiritual reality of what's going on now. But at the very end of the book, it tells us about the end of the story. It tells us about what happens. And John has this vision of the final judgment. This is what he says in uh, chapter 20. Then I saw a great white throne, and him who is seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, And no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. And books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they'd done. Judgment Day is all about God making his verdict public. Because, of course, if we die before that time, we're immediately going to go to heaven or to hell. So, in a sense, the verdict's already been enacted. The purpose of Judgment Day is for God to say, listen up, creation. Listen up, humans. Listen up, angels. Listen up, all of creation. I have worked out justice. It's God showing to the world that he's uh, being just in all that he's done. And that means that it needs to be based on something public. That's why judgment is based on works. The Bible says that every person will be judged according to what they've done. That includes us. That includes Christians. If you're a Christian here today, you'll stand before God and you'll be judged according to what you've done. And some of us are feeling slightly panicked here. We think, no, 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 that's not how it works. But Jesus is really clear. Again, the sheep and the goats. Jesus says that the thing which determines whether they go to eternal life or eternal punishment is how they've treated the poor, whether they've visited those in prisons, whether they cared for those less fortunate than themselves. But I hear you saying, but Andrew, Christians are saved by grace. Come on, get with the program. Absolutely. Christians are saved by grace. But when you're saved by grace... That transformation that happens in your heart will inevitably produce fruits in your life. It will inevitably produce good, fruit, good works, living God's way. And it's this fruit which becomes the evidence on Judgment Day that we are those whom Jesus has made righteous. And we are those who get to spend eternity with him. 
the fruit in our lives will be the evidence that God uses to say, listen up, creation, look at this guy. He's righteous through my son. He comes to eternal life with me. It's a bit like identifying a tree. Now, if there were two trees in front of me here, one apple, one pear, if there was no fruit, I wouldn't have a clue which was which. But they are fundamentally different. But as soon as some fruit appeared, I could identify an apple. Okay, that's an apple tree. Or identify a pear. Okay, that is a pear tree. The fruit shows them what the core identity of the tree is. An apple on an apple tree doesn't make it an apple tree. It's already an apple tree, but it proves to me, ah, okay, you're an apple tree. Ah, okay, you're a pear tree. That's how judgment by works works. On that day, the good works that God sees in our lives will be evidence that our core identity is that we are righteous. Not because of stuff we've done, because we've been saved by grace. We were transformed by Jesus. And all the creation will go, yes, yes, that one is righteous. Look what Jesus did in them. That one is righteous. They get to go to eternal life with God. It's not going to be a balancing of good and bad. We're not going to be there thinking, oh, I hope the good outweighs the bad. I hope there's more apples than there are pears. One apple is enough to prove to you that the tree is an apple tree. Your good works, if you've been saved by faith, will be enough to prove that you are righteous and you will go to eternal life with God. Salvation is a gift. It is freely given. It is utterly impossible to earn. It is utterly impossible to deserve it. It's received purely through faith, which says, I can't do this, but I'm trusting in you to do this for me. But the certain evidence that we've been saved by faith is that fruit, the fruit of good works, grows in our lives. And it's that evidence which on Judgment Day will prove us, demonstrate us to be those whom Jesus has saved, those who are righteous, and those who get to go and be with him. After judgment comes the ultimate defeat of death. John's vision continues. He says, then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This, he says, is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he too was thrown into the lake of fire. There'll come a point when God will take death and along with those who've lived in rebellion against God and have not responded to Jesus, will cast them into hell. Death will be swallowed up. It will be completely done away with. Just as God promised 800 years before Jesus came, that veil will be taken away. Death will be swallowed. It will never again be remembered. It will never again interrupt. That unnatural enemy will have been cast down, will have been dealt with, will have been swallowed up. And then after this moment comes the new creation. The thing which we've all been in our hearts longing for, John says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. He says, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Remember we read about judgment. It said earth and heaven fled away. But now John sees a new heaven and a new earth. He sees a place where humans and God live together. And there's no need for mediation. There's no temple. There's no building where God has to dwell because there has to be this kind of level of separation between God and humans. Actually, all of God's people, the righteous, live in perfect, unhinted intimacy with him. And as the chapter goes goes on, uh, John talks about heavenly Jerusalem, which is kind of a picture of this new creation, coming down to earth. And the new creation is basically like heaven and earth mixed. It's God's dwelling place, which is what heaven is, and our dwelling place, which is earth, coming together, mixing together. In the new creation, I think we'll work. I think we'll do a lot of the things we normally do here, but they'll be enjoyable. They'll be without pain, without difficulty, without stress and without strain. John says this in this vision. He says, God at the moment will wipe away every tear from their eyes. 
And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. All brokenness will be fixed. All pain will end. All sickness will be gone. There will be no death. Every tear will be wiped away by God himself like a tender father. We will never again mourn. We will never again cry. We will never again experience pain. Think of everything you currently love in the world and then imagine it perfected. Think of everything that's broken and painful and difficult in the world. Everything you hate in the world. It will be taken away. It will be done away with. Every broken thing will be put right in this wonderful new creation. Friends, this is our eternal destiny. This is our hope as Christians. This is the end of the story. But for us, it will be the beginning of eternity. Ben, do you want to head back up? We're going to respond in a moment by worshipping. Worshipping the one who has conquered death. Worshipping the one who gives us this sure and certain hope. We're going to sing these truths into our soul and get ourselves excited about them. But before we do that, there's kind of three groups I particularly want to talk to. There's so many ways that this applies in our life, but there are three I feel God's highlighted to me to share today. And there'll be other things that God does in some of our hearts individually. First of all, I want to talk to you here today if you're not a Christian. If you've come here today, but you're not someone who's chosen to turn away from living for yourself and being a rebellion of God, and you've not chosen to say, God, I know I've done wrong, but I'm going to ask you to forgive me. I'm going to walk towards you. I'm going to choose to live your way. Friend, we've heard today, the Bible's really clear that your eternal hope is not good. There is no hope outside of Jesus. There are no second chances after death. There's no hope outside of Jesus, but today, hope is an offer from Jesus. Today, Jesus is extending his arms to you, saying, come to me. He can forgive you. He can wipe you clear. He can make you righteous. So you produce that good fruit. So the moment you die, you go to be with him. And so for all of eternity, you get to be with him in a perfect new creation. Friend, if that's for you here today, do not leave this place without talking to someone. This is the most important thing you can ever think about. The most important decision you can ever make. The biggest thing we ever face. Every one of us will meet that day, have that day when we die. Every one of us will stand before God. Don't leave this place today without having done business with him. If that's you, talk to the person you came with maybe or grab someone if you know anyone. If not, please do come find myself, come find Stephen, Sam, maybe hosting or some of us will be at the front here. We're so enough to talk with you, to just explain more to you and if you'd like, we can pray with you. I also just feel God wants to uh, help some of us here today who are wrestling with the fear of death. Fear of death actually is a really common thing but has no place in the life of the Christian. Fear of death comes because death is unnatural, because it shouldn't be in the world, because actually outside of Christ, there's a lot to fear. But for those who've been grafted into Christ, those who've been made righteous by him, there is nothing for us to fear. That sting has been taken away. The enemy has been defeated and dealt with. I really believe that today God wants to set many people free from a fear of death. And there's kind of two things I want to encourage you to do, if that's you. One thing you need to do, actually, is you need to take responsibility for taking hold of the truth that we've heard and speaking it to yourself. That's something you can do this week, to take hold of these truths. Think about some of these passages. Speak it. Sing it to yourself. Sing songs with gospel truth, because that will get it deep into your soul, and it will push out fear. But the other thing I want to encourage you to do is to grab someone this morning and make sure you pray together before you go. They might be grabbing a friend, someone you're sitting near. They might be, again, that you want to come down the front or make sure there's a ministry team here. We'd love to pray with you. And I'm in real faith that God today is going to cast out fear of death as he takes the truth of his word, the sure and certain hope we have, and he brands it deep down in our heart. 
If that's you, speak the truth to yourself and make sure that today someone prays for you. And the final one really is to talk to all of us, but maybe especially any petty people here who feel you are just in a real period of suffering, a real time of struggling and difficulty. Time and time again, the New Testament says to suffering believers, it says, lift your gaze up. It says, look at this eternal hope. It says, all of this rubbish down here is going to seem like a light and momentary affliction compared to the glorious glory that we will experience up there. I'm more and more trying to learn to do this, to, to kind of take time to think on what would it be like What are the pains that I will look forward to not being there? What are the things that I will love doing there? We need to spend time meditating on this. And all of us, let's do this this week. Let's meditate on the truth of where we're heading, of our eternal destiny, and let that hope encourage us, comfort us, draw us forth, and keep us going. You'd like to stand with me if you're willing and able. I'm going to pray for us, then we're going to worship. We've got a good bit of time actually to worship God, to thank him for what he's done, thank him for these glorious truths, to let him work in our heart, and then we'll see where God leads us. Let me pray for us though. Father God, thank you so much that when death entered the world because of human sin, you were not happy to abandon us to it. Thank you, Jesus, that you came to defeat this enemy, that you've removed the sting of death. As you hung on that cross, you dealt with the sin problem. You dealt with the thing that brought death into the world. You conquered over it. Thank you there is one day when death will be swallowed up. Death will be no more. I thank you, Jesus, that you have that victory and that we get to share that victory in you. Thank you that we know that when we cry out to you to save us, we can be certain that in the moment that we die, we go to be with you in a perfect place. That we can be certain that our bodies will be raised. We once again will be embodied beings. That when we stand before you, you'll say, look at this one. He's a righteous one because of what my son did. And we will get to spend all eternity with you in a perfect, perfect new creation. God, we thank you. We thank you for your victory, what you've done for us. And I pray right now, Holy Spirit, would you come and work these truths into our heart? Would you work them deep into us, bringing us hope, bringing us comfort? I pray you would cast out right now the fear of death. I pray for those at the moment who have not turned to you. I pray right now you call them. You'd work in their hearts. Give them the courage to say, no, I'm going to turn to Jesus and follow him. And I pray for all of us, Lord God, would you set deep hope in our hearts. Deep hope for our glorious future with you. We invite you now to come and do that in our hearts. Holy Spirit. Amen.